In a complex world brimming with new ambitions, the best leaders create the best workplaces. This is the Oil & Gas Digital Doers Podcast, where you can hear real stories about digital capabilities and a culture of empowerment with your host, Joanne Meyer. So welcome to the Oil & Gas Global Network's Digital Doers Podcast. So thank you very much for joining us today for hitting all of the right buttons so you could join in on this conversation today. I'm really excited to have a, a couple of guys here who uh, co-authored along with some other folks uh, a book that I spent a lot of time reading over the weekend. So I'm, uh, I'm excited to um, have a conversation with people that I think um, are of a common mind around how to help organizations, and I'm putting that in air quotes, um, change and grow. So I'm really happy to have a couple of Davids here with me today, and we're going to try to keep them separate, or maybe we won't. Uh, we'll just consider them interchangeable, <laughs> but you'll probably be able to hear the difference. So, Well, around the office, I'm usually called Handsome Dave, <laughs> so I know for the listener, that's not much that's of a reference hard. point, Yeah, yeah. just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll keep that in mind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... Um, but before I get into this conversation, as you can see, it may be uh, educational as well as uh, in, uh, comical. Let's, uh, I do want to say thank you to our sponsor. Our sponsor is HPE. And if you get a chance, either find someone and have a conversation with them or take a look at HPE.com. And that is their website. And in particular, they are talking about these days a lot about um, their platform. It's called their GreenLake platform. And it's all about bringing the cloud to you. So the goal is here is to give you that commercial um, great experience that you might have um, on premise. And I guess uh, data would suggest that about 70% of folks' apps and uh, companies' apps and data still reside on premise. So the goal of uh, the HPE folks is to make sure that you can get the very most out of those uh, assets by using their GreenLake platform. So if you get a chance, go take a look and, um, and say thank you because uh, they make these digital doer conversations possible. Also, want to be sure that uh, you know that uh, Digital Doers is not the only podcast that you can listen to on the Oil & Gas Global Network. And the Oil & Gas Global Network, or OGGN, as we refer to it uh, fondly, is um, uh, the largest network or community of oil and gas podcasts in the world. So thanks to all the... Uh, my folks and friends at OGGN that uh, help make these podcasts uh, possible, and then also, of course, HPE. And so with that, now we're going to talk to Dave and Dave. And so I'd like the, the Dave, that if, if, if he's known as the handsome Dave, so are you like the smart Dave and the handsome Dave, or what are you known as? My mother says I am. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> great, great. Well, so I'm here today with David Bowman. And David Sauer. Is it Sowers? Sowers, yeah. David Sowers. I'll turn around to either one, though. Okay, <laughs> all right. And uh, they are with Knowledge Vine. And um, I'm going to let them each introduce themselves to you, but 
And I want them to say a little bit about how they ended up in this space that they're playing in these days called human performance. And uh, so, yeah, so they've got some commonalities in their background. And so uh, David, mom, the one that mom thinks is handsome and smart, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this space? Well, thank you very much. Yes, so I started uh, in the human performance space uh, in the nuclear power industry. I came into that. uh, I was about 30 years old when I left Chevron. Uh, I was in the oil and gas business for a while. And then I went into uh, the uh, nuclear biz- power business uh, as an operator, and I came in, and the first thing they teach you is human performance. And it really was based on what happened in Three Mile Island that we didn't want to have another you know, incident like that. So we were taught how to not have uh, human errors or make human errors while we were operating the plant. So that's kind of how I got started in it. And I actually uh, met Dave Sowers, my business partner uh, for Knowledge Vine, uh, almost 30 years ago. Uh, when we were coaching uh, T-ball with our kids. And uh, he worked at the nuclear power plant and kind of talked me into going to work there. I was interested in it. It was intriguing. And that's kind of where I started my career in uh, human performance. And and before that, though, you were? I was in the United States Marine yeah. Corps. Uh, after that, I came into, uh, I was a machinist in a machine shop in a shipyard. And then I got a uh, position with a, a refinery in uh, Port Arthur, Texas. And I took that position as an operator and uh, from there, I moved into specialty chemicals uh, over into Louisiana. And then from there, I went into uh, the nuclear power industry. Okay, great. Yep. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you, you very much. You're yes, welcome. Okay. Thank you very much, Joanne. All right. And now to Handsome Dave. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I hope that sticks. Um, yeah, I started in the uh, Navy in the nuclear power program. I was a, a machinist mate there. Uh, did my six years in the nuclear Navy and then moved into commercial nuclear power first in New Jersey, Salem Nuclear, and then back down to Louisiana at a Riverbend Station. I uh, was working there when I met uh, Dave Bowman. And like he said, we uh, started coaching T-ball and figured that, uh, you know, hey, if we can get these kids performing well, we we're I'm pretty sure we were undefeated, even though nobody was keeping score officially. <laughs> we, we were. Yeah, the kids were. That's what they said. Like, we're not keeping score. Like every game, the kids are like, you know, we won. We won. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, we know. We're just yeah. not going to tell the other yeah. adults. But there you go. Um, so talked to Bowman about coming in and working at the nuclear power plant. He started there. Uh, after a couple of years, I had moved to the Army Corps of Engineers and worked hydro, hydroelectric power for the Army Corps of Engineers in Alabama. Uh, Bowman started moving up the chain in uh, uh, nuclear power and had moved into the position where he was the human performance coordinator for Riverbend Station and, and then moved into corporate. And it's, it's interesting, the background for human performance is really found in aviation and nuclear power and in the military a little bit. And basically, it's just making sure that uh, our folks aren't making mistakes. You know, we're trying to eliminate human error with human performance. Um, Intergy, the company that we both worked for, the nuclear power plant, uh, they looked at, they had this nuclear power plant that was incredibly safe. As a matter of fact, nuclear power to this day is deemed the most safe industry you can work in. And not just industrial jobs, it's safer than real estate, uh, hospitality, finance, any of those jobs, you have a better j- chance of getting hurt than you do in nuclear power. So Intergy looks at this and they say, we've got this incredibly safe facility, the nuclear power plant. They make this electricity, goes out to the switchyard, and we hand it off to the transmission distribution folks, the folks you see in the bucket trucks, you know, stringing the wire and working all that. And they are killing people <laughs> on that side. You know, so they started looking at what 
what are we doing inside the nuke plant that we're not doing outside of here? And they tapped into uh, Dave Bowman to say, hey, why don't you take this human performance and see if you can uh, – make it, we don't want a square peg round hole. It's not nuclear. This is a different workforce. The culture is different. You know, so how do we bring it out to them? And so he headed up the uh, efforts to uh, bring human performance out to these organizations, and they were very successful, had one of their safest years ever uh, when that happened. And so then they started, introduced, started saying, okay, well, not only do we want our people using human performance, but we want all our contractors using human performance as well, too, because if a contractor has an injury on site, Entergy owns it. You know, they own it as well, too. So that immediately kind of opened up this need for, you know, who's going to come teach us these things? Because we've talked to people about human performance. We've literally had folks say, is that like stretching and calisthenics and, you know, that kind of thing? We're like, no, no, no. It's, it's more behavior-based than anything else. And so there was this need for people to adopt this, I'm going to call it a safety system, but this system that will not only keep you safe, but increase, you know, efficiency and avoid rework and reliability and, and all the things that come with just not making errors. Um, and that opened up that opportunity to, you know, who's going to serve this? Who's going to help provide this to people? And that's where KnowledgeVine came in. Yeah. And I would say that going back in time a little bit, leaving nuclear power and going away from that infrastructure into other uh, utility-based uh, businesses like transmission, distribution, uh, the uh, the fossil fuel side plants, it was a little different. There was a learning curve of how to roll this out in a palatable way, but also in a way that's applicable to the work people were doing. You know, in a nuclear power plant, you have a lot of infrastructure. You have a lot of people that support uh, coaching and are out in the field watching other people do the work to make sure they don't make a mistake as well. And sometimes in the transmission business, you're so far out away from town or you may be just in the middle of a city where people can't just come to you uh, maybe in a vault or you're in a bucket up above, you know, the, the power lines or in the power lines. So it's harder to coach people that are doing that work and to watch them do that work. And so I had to really learn how to develop this in a way that was applicable uh, from a learning perspective, but also in a hands-on perspective. They would be able to walk away with something to say, yeah, I can do that without somebody prompting me or coaching me to do it. Uh, so there was a steep learning curve to get to where we are today with this. Uh, in 2014, I resigned from the company and I started KnowledgeVine. Um, I, I was, I, th I think, maybe overconfident that I could do this uh, <laughs> fairly easily. Uh, but it did kind of take off, and that's when I asked Dave to come be a part of the team and be part owner of it. H handsome Dave. Excuse me, handsome Dave. <laughs> Thank you. I needed somebody to put on the face of the book, right? So, uh, so anyway, uh, he came over. I have a face over. for radio. That's what I <laughs> He came over and really helped out with the uh, leadership side of it and, and more of the um, uh, the writings that we were going to use and the, and the way we did the training and building the training. He had a background in that as well. So it worked out really well. We both had a good application and of the science. We knew how to do it because we had both been re reactor operators and working inside of a nuclear power plant using human performance successfully, I would say. Uh, even as far as underneath the in the dry well, as they call it, underneath the reactor itself, turning valves. Not many people have seen that, and uh, he and I have actually done that together using human performance. So we're not only talking about it from the heart or as a passion of ours, but actually from something we've used and seen the benefit of. Yeah. Of. So, you know, I, I'm just I, I, I mentioned a little bit uh, as we kind of were talking and getting set up here that. You know, this is something that's really kind of near and dear to my heart. Um, I spent uh, 30 years with upstream oil and gas companies and then about half of that time in operations management. And so 
um, this notion of something new and good that's coming in, and there a lot of people can see a lot of benefit to it. But at the end of the day, if someone at the lowest levels in the organization, at the front line, closest to the molecules, closest to the customers, usually, if they aren't doing something different, mm-hmm. then it, it doesn't make any difference. All the great plans, all the great it doesn't, and so that's one of the things. Oh, I'm gonna now. I'm gonna mention your book. Uh, the okay. uh, the book that <laughs> just came out maybe in January of 2022 ish. Am I right? Actually, August it came out. Oh, yeah, August. oh yeah. wow. Yeah, okay, year. so it's, it's hot off the press. It's hot fresh. off the press. Yeah. Um, it's a great, great book. It's called Thank Remedy, you. and we'll talk a little bit more about. But the only reason I know this is because reading in here in the in the Remedy book, and you, I I really liked this notion of how you said when you bring in something new. Your culture is going to fight Absolutely. to keep it out. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, one of the episodes, one of the early episodes I did back in May is with a good uh, friend, and he and I worked together in the oil and gas industry for many years, and he went on to be um, a VP of Shell in their enterprise architecture and improvement, I think was the title. But he makes a point um, about how tough, and in fact, the title of his uh, the segment, the episode we did, is called The Initiative Graveyard. <laughs> yeah, okay. And so, but it is all about this notion, and he talks about how really he wonders if leaders and companies don't, they need to understand how tough this is going to be. Yeah. And I really thought the way you guys talked about the culture, it's not going to be working for you at the beginning. It's going to be. It's going to. It's going to struggle. The status quo is going to want to stay in place. So no, it's set. The culture is set, and it does not want to change. And it was interesting how you said the um, the people closest to the molecules, the people at the front end. The, the way we have always defined culture, it's not your mission statement or your values or anything like that. It's it's not what the people in the C suite think it is or what they set forth as the goals or the agenda. Culture is the sum of all the actions of everybody in the organization. So if that person that's closest to the molecules or closest to the front line, the tip of the spear, if they're acting unsafe, that is your culture. It's an unsafe culture. If they're risky, you know, that's part of your culture. It's not the posters on the wall or the, you know, the, the, uh, the sign offs on the emails and things like that. That's not really what, that's not what's driving your culture. What's driving your culture is the behaviors of your people. The sum of that is, is what drives that. And so, that's a tough thing to turn because it's not one thing you can point to. You can't say, we're going to go talk to this person and get this straightened out and our culture is going to be different. Everybody has to be brought on board. Everybody has to see the value of it because the, the culture that you currently have is usually, I don't want to call it like the lowest energy state, but it's, but it it's probably where, is. It's where it's people easy. are comfortable. Yeah, it's what's accepted. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. and so, so here's another thing too about human performance that I, that I picked up on right off the bat. When I moved from oil and gas to nuclear power, there, there's two places I've been in my life where I thought, you know, I have some really good ideas. And if they'll just listen to me, this place will change. One was the United States Marine Corps. They did not change. They had their <laughs> culture set. And nuclear power was the same way. And what, what I noticed about it, though, was it's not a – human performance isn't something you take on and put off. You either do it all the time or you're not going to do it at all. And if you don't do it at all, you're not going to make it in nuclear power. So – the mindset around this is not something that you go do on Monday through Friday. This is what you do all the time. And one of the things that we, we really get after, there's two big pieces of this to, to help, I guess, 
make this easier and more palatable to folks is that, you know, this is something you can take home and use right now and see the benefit of with your 16-year-old son or daughter that's learning how to drive a car or your four-year-old grandson that's about to run across the parking lot at Walmart. You can actually start to teach your children, your family, how to use this and see benefit in it immediately. The second thing we really focus on is like when you're trying to teach your child how to ride a bicycle. You don't just tell them all the bad things they're doing. You talk about some of the good things you're seeing too. So we believe in a four-to-one positive uh, to, to constructive ratio. We want to give four times the amount of, hey, I see you trying to do it. Thank you for trying that. Thanks for telling us that. Thanks for working with us on that. We really teach our organizations when they're doing interactions and coaching to look for the positive because thousands and thousands of times a day, people out there are trying to do a good job. But sometimes they can't get around this particular issue that's broken, this piece of equipment that doesn't work, et cetera, et cetera. So we're always looking for the good that people are doing from a behavioral perspective and not just, hey, good job, slap you on the back, but hey, I saw you do this and that's how this is going to help you here. So the what's in it for me is always part of the deal that we need to be talking about. And so what I'd like for you guys to do, tell us a little bit about... What kinds of things do your clients, what are they looking for when they come to you? We have three, do you want to grab it? No, you got it. I three, got it. Three, right. three, three types, you're right. Yeah, we, three kinds of clients that typically come to us. One is we are good and we want to go to great. And we see human performance as that. Performance thing, improvement. Performance yeah. improvement. Peace, yeah. right. As the thing that's going to take us from good to great. They're already kind of ahead of the curve and they just want to get better. They want to stay you know, have that competitive advantage uh, over all their competition and they want to get better and they see performance improvement or human performance as a way to do that. Uh, the other group is um, usually somebody that's being required something, either by a regulator or a uh, the contract that they serve, saying we need you, sort of like we talked about earlier with Entergy, saying, hey, if you're going to come work on our stuff, you need to have a human performance process to ensure that you're not you know, damaging equipment, hurting people, those sorts of things too. So there's some onus there that, that drives them to seek out, you know, human performance improvement. Um, the last one is, and the one we least want to work with typically is the, somebody that's had some kind of significant event. We've had an accident or an injury or heaven forbid a, a fatality that is their wake up call. And they say, man, we got to get, we got to get this right. We got to get right. We can't keep doing this. Um, that's usually the toughest group to work with because they're, broken on so many levels. This is just the evidence of it, this event that happened. So there's a lot more to be done there, a lot of things to fix. And so typically those groups, good to great. Somebody's telling me that that we need this, we need to do this thing. So we're we're jumping in reluctantly, but satisfying a contract requirement or something like that, or somebody post-accident. I I will say the post-accident one, I know you said it's our least favorite. I I don't think you mean it that way. I think what you really mean is you wish they would come to us before that because it's, it's always the easiest because when you've had a major upset in your organization, especially a fatality, there's a lot of emotion tied to that. And you can start to see that desire to change a whole lot faster than somebody that's really, really good. And they know that I can keep doing what I'm doing and be okay. Um, so to me, it's it's almost a rewarding thing to see an organization that has been through a terribly emotional thing to quickly grab a hold of something like this that can get them out of that hole. We've worked with a couple of uh, clients in the past that have come to me literally in tears. I mean, 
And, and as a business owner, it choked me up because I know how hard it is when you've gone through something like this to keep yourself whole and to keep your business going and to think about that poor family that lost a dad or a mom or whatever. This person was really, really distraught over it. And, and I felt that, you know, and, and but I also saw the need for change. And it happened so much faster because they had been through that that terrible ordeal. So I think you're absolutely right. I think there's three different types that come to us, but I will say the, my least favorite is the one that has to do it. When you have to do it, you really aren't wholly invested in it. You do it because the client said you have to, you're checking a box and you can see that lack of engagement almost to a certain extent. Yeah. We could both agree. The best one though was the good to great folks. Yeah. Absolutely. That's my, that's my ultimate favorite. Yeah. 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 Um, and so I, I think that what I'm hearing, though, that are are we talking here just kind of about safety, or do you hear from folks that are kind of thinking about performance in other areas, or is safety a really big that's, driver? That's a very good question, and I'll tell you that safety is the easiest way to get the culture changed because it's something we're all invested in immediately. If we were to walk in and say, you know what, the uh, the world spends thirty seven billion dollars on human error. We're going to help you eliminate that in your own organization. We're going to chase waste and make sure we get chased waste and make sure we get rid of uh, all the errors people are making. It's kind of off-putting in a way, and it's also hard to believe, right? So if I come in with something you can see tangibly that I can quickly and easily monitor with data, which we do, uh, that's a whole lot easier way to get people bought into it. I mean, who doesn't want to be safe? Who wants to get hurt today? Nobody wants to get hurt, right? right? So this is an easier platform to come in. And it's something that everybody already monitors and already has data on. Very few organizations really have a lot of data around how many errors we make. I mean, commercial airlines and nuclear power are the only two I really know of besides maybe medical. But at the end of the day, it's just not something people chase. You know? It was interesting. I had back in engineering school, I had a professor one time who said, doctors bury their mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> Engineers, they're usually out for right people for to see, you. Yeah. you know. So yeah. anyway, that's my little comment on. Um, but I well, wondered. We, we so, do say that that safety is a byproduct of a good human performance absolutely. process. But it is what Dave was saying. It's the most visible. We we track it. You know, there's no. You're going to see. You're going to know your first aid. You're going to know the numbers around your OSHA recordables or your TIR or whatever those safety metrics are. Those are required by law that we track and we know these things. You don't know, you know, how many, how much rework was done. Does anybody have a number? Anybody listening here? Do we have a number that says how much we do rework? Well, when you're trying to shape a little bit of an organizational change, because I think Dave's right. I think organizations are set to some extent to get what they're getting, right? And all you're really doing is impacting that with what we do. And hopefully what happens is over time, uh, the maturity level of the organization starts to realize, wait a minute, this worked in safety. Why can't it work in quality? Why can't it work in efficiency and effectiveness? And actually, what we've researched and learned over the, the last 10 years uh, specifically is that most people that have a very good safety culture have a very high quality rating, too. So it's hard to have real high quality with terrible safety and vice versa. So these things all go hand in hand. It's really just, it's looking at the organization, trying to figure out what's causing people to have um, the error likely situation, trying to go after that organizational 
you know, function that's broken and fix that. Because if we keep fixing the person, we can try to fix the person all day long. But if we don't fix the, the, the reason that person's failing, then we're going to just keep hiring and firing people or laying people off or whatever. And we're never going to get after the real root cause of what's really going yeah, on. Yeah. You know? Okay. So that, and that makes sense. Uh, uh, I think you're right. I, you know, my time as a production foreman, a manager of operations, and then ultimately I have responsibility for a business unit. And that is one of the things that you don't ever want to have to deal with and you don't right. ever want to have to hear about. The other thing I can remember thinking is, because I was a few years younger when I was doing that, and remember looking out at the, the guys and girls that were sitting there and thinking, you know, how do I make this meaningful to them? Mm-hmm. Because they've heard this safety message every day of their lives for right. You know, for years, right, decades, and so what is it that is going to make it stay top of mind for them today? Mm-hmm. Help them to understand the risks they're taking, right? And uh, the fact that they didn't have authority to, but but it was a constant. So it makes sense that safety is something that would would you know would get everyone's um, everyone's attention. Um, and so in the book. I I really um, enjoyed the conversation, the, the the comments, and I'm not finished with this section yet. What something I've always called um, uh, vertical alignment. You know, the common thing we always hear is oh, it's leaders, you know, top leaders, executive leadership. That's the most important thing. And I, don't get me wrong, I understand you got to have a vision, you got to have a commitment. Mm-hmm. They control all the resources. I get all that. Sure. Having said that, in my career, it's, it is possible and, and probable at times that the higher level said, this is great, we're going to go do this, not fully understanding what needed to be done at the lowest levels, what that change actually meant. And the problem was somewhere between the very top and the very bottom, I say the bottom, but the, where, the, where I always like to say the most of the work gets, most of the money's made and most of the money is spent. Right. Um, is sometimes there's a gap. Yeah. So the top guys and girls may get it. The folks at the bottom that are making everything happen may get it. But somewhere in between, there's this gap, and that makes it difficult yeah. for it to actually happen at the place where it makes a lot of difference. Yeah, that's and a so great. You guys talk. I call it a, a vertical alignment. You guys call it something else. Well, it's it's the same thing, right? We're we're trying to get the entire organization to work together and talk to each other. You know, we've done forty four thousand surveys across the world, and found that the number one problem typically is communication, lack of communication. And when you look at the matrix inside of the remedy, we talk about the remedy book. We talk about. You know, leadership's goal is really to set the expectation, and that's wonderful. You really need to do that. What are the expectations to work here? But the only way you ever see if you have a gap is to go inspect what you expect, right? And, and so I have a funny story about this, about uh, my my house back when my kids were growing up. We had a two-story house, and I used to ask my daughter, are your rooms clean? Well, of course. You know, and I would go up there, and they weren't. And I would ask, how in the world do you think this is clean? Well, it's clean to me. That would be the response I would get. And, and you know, and really it made me question my own self and think, you know, she's kind of right. Maybe this is clean to her. Let's identify a checklist. Let's do a checklist together. Some, some nuclear power stuff coming out of me, right? <laughs> and they hated it, but we, we aligned, you know, and that, and that was the main thing. But, but the key is the organization has to be willing to learn from the people that do the work. 
but they have to do a great job of setting the expectation too. And somewhere in the middle of that is this this terrible place called supervision and management. <laughs> and I, that's the hardest job I ever had, you know, was, was leaving the hourly side of the, the work side and going into the supervisory side because you don't get a lot of training for that. And you're expected because you were such a super doer, you're going to be a great supervisor. And that's not necessarily always the case. You have to be a very good listener. You have to ask for feedback. You have to go and give feedback. It's a lot of work to be a supervisor or a manager. But we encourage that through the entire uh, training cycle and the, uh, the application phase is to make sure that we're doing a great job of listening and giving feedback. That's why that four-to-one positive ratio is so important. If my supervisor only finds bad things, all I'm ever going to give them is bad things because I don't know how to learn from that or grow from that. So show me what I'm doing right. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. Let's get it fixed. Let's move on. But if I can't do it, if you don't know the why behind the reason I'm doing what I'm doing or not doing, then I'm failing as an organization. And if I can't do something because you didn't give me what I needed to be successful, I can never give back to you what you said you expected, right? So inspect what you expect is one of the key things we teach inside the organization. You want to add into that? Yeah, I mean, it, the positive reinforcement is really important because improvement or, or high quality does involve two things. One is fixing the things we're not doing right but also keep doing the things we are doing right. And we had discussed earlier, um, I think before we started recording about that, what does good look like? And that's what Bowman was talking about there. To his daughters, this room looked good. To him, he had a different standard. Right. It's the same thing for the workforce. If, if we're not telling them that was it, that's, that was good, that's what good looked like specifically, not just, hey, good job, everybody, but you know, good job utilizing your human performance tools or good job following that procedure and making sure that you know, we get this done right. Um, that's how you keep doing the good things. And then it gives you that opportunity to also um, coach some of the things that need to be fixed. If every time I saw you or you saw me, I'm just telling you what was broken, what you're doing wrong, you go out of your way to like not see me, you know? Right. Or you know how anybody that's in the plant, the work's happening and the, you know, the supervisor comes out and do the plant and you kind of notice them, you know, heading down the, the uh, hallway there. It's like, sometimes it's, well, what do you know? Break is happening again. All work stops, you know, because we just know no matter what he sees or he or she sees, we're going to be told what's wrong. And right. this is, yeah, this is just going to be a nightmare instead of, hey, man, good job. Everybody's got their PPE. We've got a good drop zone or exclusion zone or, you know, whatever's going right. We need to make sure that we're encouraging that, too, because, we, you know, we're saying that safety is an important uh, or the most important byproduct of a human performance improvement process. But um, you know, we went into organizations that came to us that said, hey, we've gone 35 years without a, not having an OSHA recordable. Every month we've had an OSHA recordable. And we came in and we worked with them. And, of course, you're getting their attention with safety because everybody, you know, that gets everybody's attention. You want to go home safe today? Well, let's talk about this thing. But what they found quick, you know, by the end of the year is that their turnover decreased 40%. Is because what human performance does, and to touch back a little bit on what Bowman was saying, is it make sure that we we the workers have a voice because they're the ones that knows what's broken but like you said the ones that have the budget are the ones that can fund the fixes but if they're not talking if we don't you're you're going to send your money in the wrong direction so if you're an executive that's you know concerned about improvement and you're also concerned about the budget well what you really want to make sure that those dollars are wisely spent right and not just what you think it is from the you know your ivory tower get right. out there in the field and get that feedback from the worker yeah. and when they see that change they get more invested yeah yeah 
We also talked a little bit before we started recording, and so I want to get into that because I do think you have some technology that you try to use to help in this. And I mentioned the fact, and so I'm going to uh, build on what you were saying, Dave, a little bit, is that I can remember uh, one of the ways uh, I'm, I'm an operations person, right? So the first time, you know, the IT, the CIO came and said, hey, we're going to do this big fancy new thing or whatever. I was like, yeah, right. I mean, I'm an operations person. I wasn't buying into that, right? It was bucks. He was spending my money, right? Um, I was fortunate to have worked with a a CIO. We had a real love-hate relationship. He was very visionary, very good, and sometimes I didn't like him, right, at all. However, I was fortunate enough to be around long enough to actually start seeing some benefits of some things that he had done, in particular around some data and pushing that data down to the lowest parts in the organization where those folks were most informed anyway on what was, sorry, they knew the most. They were closest to everything that was going on. And what I remember is when I kind of fell in love with technology is those guys, and they were mostly guys at the back then, those guys all of a sudden could have a very different conversation with me. Because until then, they could come and say, Joanne, that pump over there, it breaks every, you know, all we do is fix it, and it's falling apart, and blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, as an operations person, I could say, yeah, well, that's kind of your job to fix it. And, but you know, just, all right, I could do whatever. I could discount it however I wanted to. When they started having some good data, now they could come in. And it didn't have to wait on anybody to analyze it, right? They all of a sudden had the data on what was failing and when and all that, how long we were down. They could come in and put a piece of paper or have a conversation, and it was a totally different conversation. All of a sudden, they knew more than I did, and that was a good thing, right? I didn't have to know all the specifics about every piece of equipment out there. Um, And they could, and it was just, it was so empowering because all of a sudden, they could make a very good case for getting what they wanted. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of confidence also. So I'm a big believer in this technology and, and how it empowers people. So tell me a little bit about how you guys use technology. Yeah, so it kind of started um, a few years ago. We, we were in a lead team meeting inside of Knowledge Vine, and we started talking about science, application, and data. That's kind of the three points that we wanted to, to bring out with uh, human performance. So the science behind why it works, the application of how to use it, and then the data to prove that it does work. And so what I always uh, struggled with when I got into upper management of a large utility was that, you know, everybody would promise me something, but they couldn't show me the data behind it as far as somebody coming in to sell something or, you know, some new training format or whatever. So we started working with this, trying to figure out what can we measure, because there's a there's a story here with human error, and you can kind of triangulate where it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen, if you have enough data to, to support it. So we started looking at the survey to start with, and we thought, okay, if we can get survey data and start looking at that, kind of cross-referencing that, we can kind of figure out what's, what's kind of broken in an organization and also what's kind of going on well in an organization. So Understanding we, the culture. Right. Yeah. Focusing on the culture, understanding where the three main hard or bad points might be. The, the most work can be done quickest. Well, one of the first pieces of data we started really recognizing is how many people would not take a survey. And we thought, you know, that's kind of telling because if I've asked you to do it, I'm paying you to do it, 
as an organization, why wouldn't you do it? Why wouldn't you want right? to tell me? Yeah. Yeah, this is a culture so, survey. This 36 sh- questions all, takes 10 minutes. 12 minutes online. tops. Yeah, right. It it's not a right and wrong answer. It's yeah. No, it's, it's your anonymous. opinion. You know, how do you feel about you. things that are going on here kind of a thing, yeah. right? So so my point to that was, okay, if I can only get 43% participation in an organization, what else are you not doing that I'm asking you to do? And not telling anyone. Right. right. And so I wanted to start tracking that and kind of flagging that and showing you know what that looks like. In the meantime, we were gathering data from the industry like what are the top three issues for utilities what are the top three issues for utility construction contractors or whoever right so kind of putting that that information together and from there we just said okay let's what else can we do with this well the next thing is you're going to pay for training like the training we give you're going to take that training we need to track that we didn't have a learning management system at the time we worked with a third party, uh, one that was not that great. And then we started struggling trying to figure out how do we do subscription based, you know, learning managements for, for our training, which is built in micro learnings. It's not a big blast where you out 45 minute stuff, you know, every day it's quick. It's enough to get you through and understand it. Uh, so we wanted to do something with LMS side. So we built an LMS. We have a subscription based LMS. That was great. We can also track who does or doesn't do their training, which is another kind of thing to, to you know, help motivate the organization. And it also drives some competition, which is great. And then finally, we started doing the application piece, going out into the field, doing interactions, engagements, talking to workers, finding out what was going on. And we started looking at the uh, serious injury and fatality precursor checklist and seeing how we could impact that with understanding why this is happening. So we know what you're not doing right and what you are doing right, but we're going to have an engagement with you and say, why why did you not do this thing, right? And one of the examples I always give is driving a forklift without a seatbelt, you know. And if I just told you over and over again, Joanne, in your organization 73 times people didn't wear a seatbelt when they drove a forklift – what would you do about that? I mean, you just have a problem in your lap. But if I came to you and said, you know, 73% of the time when people aren't wearing a seatbelt, it's because they can't because the retractor doesn't work inside the seatbelt mechanism anymore. We have a bad organization uh, issue with fixing corrective actions, right? So let's go fix the right thing instead of just fixing everything with the wrong thing. That's kind of the way we started looking at this whole dashboard uh, software and using data to basically do a miniature, as Dave Sauer says, a miniature root cause every time we see something going on in the, in the organization that doesn't line up with our standards. We want to be able to trend that and then go back and fix the the why, not the what. Yeah, you got to use that data to target the right corrective actions because to, you know, any example, you know, like a glove use requirement. If you had 30 times last month we noticed people not wearing gloves when they were supposed to wear gloves, you could have the vast majority of them is saying, well, I can't. We're not providing the right gloves or the gloves they gave us, you know, they wear out before 9 o'clock and they're no good to us. And, you know, that that worker is in a tough position. You know, they, they just can't do it, even though the expectation's clear. Well, what if 10 of those were people that are like, oh, yeah, I just didn't want to do it. I didn't feel like it, you know? Treating those two people the same is just incredibly unfair. The one that's really, really trying but can't versus the one that just won't, you know? So to target the right actions, you have to have a little bit more nuance in what you're seeing, and that data is what helped drives that. Do we have a can't problem? Because if we can't get the right gloves – where does that extend out to? Do we not have the right safety glasses? Do we not have the right training? Do we not, you know, all these things we're not providing the worker or do we just find over and over again that we've got a won't problem 
So I won't do the survey like Bowman said, or I won't put the gloves on, or I won't wear the safety glasses or whatever, whatever that those things are. Well, then that's a real Very culture different. issue, you know? Well, so you doing it from the top down with the culture you, yeah. or are you looking more at supply chain and are we getting the right things? Right. That's the data is what drives the right solution. So we're not just, yeah. you know, shotgunning, throwing stuff up and seeing what sticks. But, yeah. but the way we used to do it, we would say, you know, 17 times people didn't wear gloves this month. So let's have a stand down and let's retrain right. everybody. So you're going to bring everybody and send into a memo. A, and let's yeah, send yeah, yeah. Let's send out some an vague email. Safety morning meetings. We're going to yeah. talk about let's, it. Let's get the training department back in here and get them to train everybody on how to wear They already know how to wear gloves. That's not that's not the issue. So you end up wasting all this time and money, and you still don't fix the problem. So that's why we want to ask that why question. Well, I have a, a friend one time who made a really, really good point. Um, he said, do you want to feel better or do you want to do better. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And I yeah. think that that's exactly right. Right. Sometimes with the, let's right. talk about it, the safety morning meeting, let's talk about, let, you know, let's send out a memo, let's whatever, let's somebody rant and rave or yell about it or whatever. Right. Um, all of that's great. Might make you feel better. Right. But you're probably not going to do better I, until yeah. you get some data. I would say both. Yeah. Because doing better feels better. <laughs> that's true. That's yeah. true. You just got to get them in yeah. the right yeah. order. Yeah. That's, that's, that's true. Maybe that's it. I like that better. Yeah. yeah. It's get it in the right order. Yeah. Yeah. You can feel better, but let's make only sure after you better. did the work yeah. to be yeah. better to yeah. do better. Yeah. 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 That, that's, I like that. I like that. That's a nice. All right. Well, I'm done. Nice Dave Sowers, and I'm acknowledging. <laughs> well, so that data piece is it's, again, it goes into a dashboard where you can see quickly and easily kind of what's going on in your organization and why, and then and then we offer for. Uh, our clients that here's some things you can go do right now. You don't need knowledge vine to do it for you. Here's some pro actions you can take. Make sure you keep all three levels of the organization in, involved, right? right? So that vertical alignment right. we talked about. And, uh, and that way you, you kind of start to learn the mindset behind how human performance actually works in all of the organization. So when you mature to the next level and you go to the remedy process, the big process, now you're applying this to everything, not just safety. You're looking at your quality. You're looking at you right. know, anything that has to do with your assets and that kind of thing. You're really trying to fix the performance, yeah. overall performance of, the, of yeah. the whole cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I really, I really found a lot um, in the book. And not only, you know, really easy to follow and read, um, not only I think is it a great, you know, there's a lot of great concepts and a lot of learning, but I think it's probably, as you can see by my tabs here, I think it's a really great reference, yeah. you know, kind of a reference book as you're thinking about. So who do you think is using your dashboard? Tell me who in the organization. Yeah, typically it's somebody in the uh, over the director level or the director level mm -hmm. that's looking at a, a set of... Um, numbers that are trying to figure out what can we do better here, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody that's actually kind of got control over that. It's not limited limited to that. Anybody could see it. Matter of fact, we've got a situation where we have a client that has uh, several contractors that report to that that group. And so they look at all of those contractors stacked up against each other, and then we give each one of those contractors their own dashboard so they can see their own uh, kind of score and where they are in the system. Because what we're really doing is we're measuring risk. You know, when you start stepping away from your standard with behavior and those two things don't align, the further apart those two circles get, the more risk you inter introduce. Right. And so the client right. that we're talking about, they wanted to make sure that we had a good scoring system that made it fair because the lower you are in that score, the less they want to use you because yeah. you're well, introducing more risk. This is into all their before accidents and injuries. These are all at the precursor. All the precursor this level. isn't yeah. a reaction yeah. to somebody, you know, getting hurt it's or a great wiping a, you know, million dollar piece of equipment, you know, or anything like that. It, this is strictly the behaviors 
that are going to precede this, so these yes. precursor behaviors. It's, it's, it's back to not the, uh, the, the what, right? This is yeah. not measuring That's the right. what. This is measuring the how or the and or the, the why. Because yeah. 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 right. yeah. you could talk to your kid about driving after an accident. Right. You know, you'll have their attention, right? Hopefully, right. <laughs> you know, but right. you could you can also talk to them about okay, these are the behaviors we're seeing. Right. You know, before these things, before mm-hmm. we before we have an accident, and that's where we really address things is try to get ahead of these and to prevent these accidents and injuries and rework and inefficiencies and yeah. things like that. Ideally, right. I think that's great. And so, one last question here. Um, so, so tell me, most of your clients are what industry? What? Yeah, today it's probably utilities. Uh, we 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 uh, work with several large utilities uh, here in the, uh, this region, in the southern region, uh, and most of their contractors, utility construction contractors that actually build power lines and that kind of thing. Obviously, we want to move that. Um, you know, I had a, a background in, in petrochemicals and refining. I see a, a perfect fit there. I think anybody that has people that do work that could involve error, human error, I think we could help anybody. Right. In medical, you know, we could go into right. uh, just about anything. Well, I, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's uh, applicable broadly. Yeah, yeah, we're starting to move into oil and gas, and there's so many layers around that. But we're well positioned for it because we came out of nuclear, which would be akin to – which is everybody's inside a fence. You know, you come into the protected area, you go through security. It's easier to to go out and see the things that are happening because you have this right. finite area. But like Bowman said one of the, earlier, one of the challenges of, of bringing this out of nuclear into transmission distribution is they're scattered, you know, right. to the winds. And so where do we go out and do it? Well, there you've got people that are out in the field in the oil and gas thing. Right. So we, we've – figured out how to reach that person, that yep. worker that's, you know, maybe doesn't have somebody watching them or, or they have a lot of autonomy or they're okay. um, disconnected a little bit all the way back to, Hey, we're inside the same fence. You know, we ought to be able to run this uh, process together and to be safe and make sure that we're, we're uh, increasing our, our productivity and eliminating rework and risk and all right. these other things too. So. Great. Well, it's wonderful to have uh, both of you here. I really well, enjoyed you, the Joanne. conversation. Thank you very much. And, uh, just going to put another plug in for the book, and you can find it on Amazon. And I think all it's entitled Remedy, the Formula for an Evolving Human Performance Culture. Check it out. It's a great book. David and David, thank you for being here. Thank you very much. And um, thank you again to all of you that have joined in and listened to us today here on the Digital Doers podcast, part of the Oil & Gas Global Networks family of podcasts. And one more time. Go take a look at hpe.com and uh, check out their new GreenLake platform. So until next time, so long. Come back next week for another venture into the real world of the best digital doers in the oil and gas industry. A production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.